When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I could actually clearly recall it. I was sitting at the breakfast table with my daughters, and I just hated my life, and I didn't like myself, and I was miserable, and I thought, what would I tell them if they came to me in a similar situation? What's the advice I would give them? And it wasn't, uh, we'll suck it up. You made your bed now. Sleep with it. It was go, go out and grab the world. Do it. Do it on your terms. You have the right to take up space. You have the right to be loved. You have the right to be fulfilled. The world is waiting for you. And in that moment, I knew if I wanted that for them, I absolutely had to show them that I could do it also. Welcome to the True Fiction Project a podcast series that explores the origins of fiction. Every week, we begin with an interview, nonfiction, followed by a creative piece, fiction, inspired by something from the interview. The idea is to demonstrate, of course, that fiction is born out of our life experiences. Now, here's your host, storyteller, author, public speaker, health and wellness expert, Renita Hora. I'm Renita Hora, your host for the True Fiction Project. Welcome back to the show. I have with me today Heather Vickery. She is a success and leadership coach devoted to your success. And uh, your success, what does that actually mean? What I love about Heather is that she, <laughs> she shares strategies to move your personal life and your business forward so that you can authentically authentically create and support the life that you absolutely love. Now, I think the key word here is authentically create, because that is something that so much of us are missing, the authenticity. Hi, Heather. Great to have you on the show. <laughs> Hi, Renita. Thank you for having me. And I'm welcoming you as I do, you know, I, I detect the giggling. So I, I think you picked up on <laughs> sort of my thoughts about the word authenticity. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of an overused word, but it's still a really important word. And really, the core of my life's work is helping people do things on their own terms. And so we have to use the word authenticity, right? Instead of doing something because other people tell you you should or society leads you to believe that you should. I mm -hmm. want folks to build a life. And if they want to, a business that's theirs, that's theirs, authentically theirs, that they love it, they feel passionate about it, and they want to spend their life pursuing it. Heather, do you think that most of us, or if not most, then many of us do not live our authentic 
lives. We are not <laughs> our authentic selves. I think we're all a work in progress. Uh, some people do it much more successfully than others. It's difficult to live authentically every second of every day because we all have lived experiences that bring us to this moment in time from what we've experienced in the past. You know, I came out at the age of 38 after a decade of marriage and four kids and I'm pretty authentic most of the time these days, but I wasn't for years. And even now I have to suss out the situation, right? Like if I'm public speaking, if I'm on a stage in, you know, the middle of the South, am I gonna out myself right there on that stage? I have to I have to decide, but we have to pick for ourselves. And I wanna say that being authentic and being vulnerable also doesn't mean turning yourself inside out for people to pick you apart. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't have to mean that. So much to discuss. You, you've just said <laughs> so much. So where do I begin? Firstly, you came out, you said at the age of 38. I mean, that's a lot of years to, uh, you know, be, <laughs> what, what's the right way of saying it? Usually people closet. come out much earlier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, tell me about that. Tell us about that. Is that what right. led you, is that what sparked this entire business and place that you are in life today? Yeah, it, absolutely it did. And, you know, my story is a little bit different than I think a lot of other people's story because I didn't know my whole life. I really, truly didn't know. I always joke that, you know, I couldn't find the lesbians in college. If I'd met the lesbians in college, maybe it would be a different story, which to be fair, I wouldn't want a different story. I, I want my story. I want my kids. I want my lived experience. And all of that has absolutely brought me to this moment. And I love this moment in my life. I love my life and my business. Uh, so I didn't know really until I knew, which was several years before I actually did the coming out. But uh, it was a really long, really painful process where I started to find myself living a completely fear-based life. Every decision I made was, well, which will be less scary, which will hurt more or cause less conflict. And I, I did that until I felt so broken and so small that it was no longer acceptable. You know, I have a method, mm -hmm. a coaching method that I support people with called the BRAVE method. And the B stands, you know, for boundaries. And boundaries are limits that define acceptable behavior. And in that moment, I noticed for me that what had been acceptable was no longer acceptable. So I created new boundaries and I changed who and how I was in my life and made drastic changes because it just, it had to happen. And mostly mm. for my children, for them to, to be able to go out and live their most vulnerable, authentic life, for them to go out and be who they are unapologetically, I needed to do that. I needed to show them how to do that. And yeah, that's that's how I got here. So Heather, of course, you know, when we look back at our lives over the years, some of us will say, I could have done it differently. Others will say, well, no, I wouldn't change it for anything, which is, I think, what you've just said. And my question is, why? Why? Would it not have been easier, perhaps, to have found those lesbians in college, like you say? <laughs> Might have been more fun. Um, Might have been more fun. 
<laughs> Listen, we I wouldn't trade my children and my lived experiences for anything. I wouldn't be mm. able to do what I do. I wouldn't I wouldn't have the podcasts that I have. I wouldn't have the book that I have. I wouldn't have the partner that I have if you know, it's a sliding doors story, right? If mm. I had, had made different choices or had different experiences when I was younger, uh, and that's not to say that I wouldn't, that I maybe don't wish I had done some things differently. Uh, you know, when we're in the midst of, of chaos and hurt and heartache, I, I maybe mm. made some rash decisions or I made them in a way that wasn't as perhaps thoughtful for others involved as it could have been. And I have some guilt around that. But for the most part, I wouldn't change it because it's what has made me right mm. our choices our actions our behaviors that they've led us right here and uh, i don't want to be someone different right not anymore i used to <laughs> right. yet you say that even today when you're out there doing a public engagement you know speaking in public maybe in certain parts of the country it's perhaps not a good idea to be what, completely authentic, too truthful, out yourself there. So that struggle still exists from what I understand. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's, listen, it's really easy to learn about me. I, my kids think I'm a celebrity because you can put my name in Google and up pops my picture. I am, I am easy to find. I'm not a celebrity. I don't have the heart to tell them that it's just really good SEO. Um, <laughs> <laughs> It would not be hard to discover that I am a member of the LGBTQ community, that I am a supporter of Black Lives Matter, that I am a raging social justice warrior. Those things, I put those things out there very unapologetically and quickly. But we are designed to protect ourselves and to keep ourselves safe. You know, to be fair, I also really love curse words a lot but i have to know my audience and if i am in front of an audience where that's going to make them not listen then i i mm -hmm. need to manage myself it doesn't change who i am and it doesn't mean that i'm hiding any element of myself i'm just trying to speak to an audience in a way that i can best connect with them mm. now how do you navigate a world where you have an active coaching business and a clientele you know, with all of that. And, and some of your clients might be coming from these parts of the country or just places where thinking is not so free, <laughs> if you Absolutely. Will. But my clients are free thinkers. So okay. to, it's fair to say that there are people all over the world in every part of the world from the most liberal to the most conservative to the most, you know, third world, first world, all of that, who feel and experience things differently than other people in their community. I can pretty much assure you that nobody who uh, <laughs> isn't a free thinker that doesn't, you know, believe that science matters and all, li you know, black lives matter and LGBTQ rights matter and all of that. They're not going to, they're not going to give me their money. That's fine. Mm, <laughs> I don't, mm. I don't really want it. <laughs> So, Heather, going into some of this terminology that you use, you know, brave and before brave, before you get to brave, the fear. 
I'd love to ask you about the fear that you have faced. I mean, you talked about it a little bit. You said, you know, there were there were all these days and years of fear where you, you'd be, should I this and should I that? Tell us about your own story and how fear really sort of ruled your world. Absolutely. Uh, I really deeply believe that fear is actually here for us. Uh, it either owns us or empowers us, though. Mm-hmm. And we gain our power when we're honest about our fear. So that time, that space that I mentioned before, it was me resisting. It was pushing against it instead of surrendering and learning from it. What I have learned through my my own growth process, my own transformation, and essentially you know, burning my whole life to the ground and rebuilding it, but this time on my own terms, is that if we pause and take a moment to see what are we really scared of, what, what's actually happening here? And what do we want to do about it? And getting really honest, that's what enables bravery. So I really, I don't like the word fearless. I think I call, I call BS on it. I don't think it exists. We are human and as human beings, we feel fear. You and I maybe feel fear about different things. And the things that I fear now are different than the things I feared before. And they're different than the things I'm going to feel next week, next month, next year. But I have learned to really sit with it and take it apart and reassess it. And then I leverage that knowledge. I use that knowledge to inform the direction that I want to go next. And that's how I empower myself. So you're really advocating in a sense that we embrace our fears, whatever Mm, that might be. Right? Yeah, absolutely. So much of fear, I mean, when I think about it, comes from the unknown. I just don't know about it, so I'm, I don't want to go there. That's right. Is that, is that true, would you say, or is that too much of a generalization? Well, the unknown is terrifying. Uh, I mean, you know, famous presidents, the only thing to fear is fear itself, right? So, yes, and that's where I say, okay, what are you really afraid of? Well, you're afraid of not knowing. No, how can you know? What can you learn? What questions can you ask? What conversations can you have? What experiences can you have? So that not knowing, that's not the thing in, in your way anymore. But it takes the desire and the intention to bravely learn so that you can shut that down. One of my mentors always said, though, and I love this so much, there's no such thing as I don't know how. When you want to, you figure out how. Mm-hmm. I had that moment where it felt no longer acceptable. I couldn't, I couldn't live with myself anymore. Uh, I didn't want to do that to my children or even my then, you know, spouse. It was not, it was not a healthy space for any of us. And I did not know what I was going to do, but I knew what I was not going to do anymore. Right. And so I made decisions to change where I lived, to follow through with divorce uh, and started I started doing a lot of work in, in positive psychology, a gratitude practice, which has been life changing for me and, and really connected with removing myself from things I didn't want and then staying open to what I did want and following that path as the universe presented it to me. And a lot of my path has been forged on the unknown, uh, but I learn mm-hmm. as I go. And I know I want a certain feeling or I want a certain experience and how I'm going to get there. I'm not often very sure, but I believe in the power of showing up. So in your own life, was this when you talk about a moment that you had this realization and you said, 
I know what I'm not going to do anymore. Did that moment just happen or is it something that you had been thinking about ruminating on for years, something that you'd been living with and then came to this decision? Well, of course, most things rumiate, but it felt like it happened in the moment. I, I could actually clearly recall it. I was sitting at the breakfast table with my daughters, I have four daughters, and they were very, very little at the time. The youngest was an actually a baby. And I just hated my life and I didn't like myself and I, I was miserable. And I thought, what would I tell them if they came to me in a similar situation? What's the advice I would give them? And it wasn't, uh, we'll suck it up. You made your bed now, sleep with it. It was go, go out and grab the world. Do it, do it on your terms. You have the right to take up space. You have the right to be loved. You have the right to be fulfilled. The world is waiting for you. And in that moment, I knew if I wanted that for them, I absolutely had to show them that I could do it also. And it mm. just flipped a switch for me. It, it took me from fear-based to limitless. Mm -hmm. I could do anything if it was to show them they could do anything. So this is very interesting what you say, because I am wondering where your fears stemmed from. Was it the fear of society and, and the way you were raised or, you know, your background? Or was it the fear of you had already made these choices, so you feared doing something different. So it was the fear came from your own fear. From, from yeah, I mean, maybe all, all of the things. I think the biggest fear at that point was completely uprooting my life. I, you know, we had the quintessential American life, the most beautiful house on the block. We made plenty of money, get healthy, perfect children. We had all of these things going for us. And you don't get married to get divorced, even when it's the right thing to do. And so the idea of causing so much upheaval was terrifying. There was an element of fear of, of actually coming out, you know, would my family be loving, which they all were, uh, you know, divorce was much harder than coming out, quite frankly. Hmm. So yeah, it was um, that, that was the biggest fear was walking away from everything that I had built. Now, I had built most of it because I was just following the path that society takes us down. You know, mm -hmm. I wanted to get married. I wanted to have kids and do all these things. And I, I, I followed the very heteronormative path. And so now I worked to sort of <laughs> help people redefine what it is normal and mm -hmm. stop making assumptions that it has to be one way only. But yeah, that was my fear was was perhaps self invented, but also there were a lot of other people involved. Right, right. And, you know, changing and switching up those things. So you have built this amazing coaching business. You have written and published several books. The most recent one is F Fearless. So <laughs> <laughs> tell us a little bit about that and some of the key takeaways that we should be looking out for from F fearless and, you know, drawing into our own lives. Absolutely, thank you. So we're laughing. I already indicated I really like swear words. I'm a big fan, <laughs> they make me happy. And I did title the book that very intentionally uh, because I wanted it to grab folks' attention. I wanted people to go, wait a minute, what does this mean? And I've already told you what it means. Like, you know, we don't want to, fearlessness is for sociopaths and three-year-olds. 
And it doesn't, it means you're not being thoughtful and intentional. Uh, and bravery is only enabled when we embrace our fears, when we get honest about our fears, we can choose bravely. And that requires knowing what you want and making a plan and being intentional and thoughtful. And so the BRAVE method, which is my coaching method, BRAVE is an acronym. It stands for boundaries, the three R's, reassessment, reframing, resilience, action and accountability, vulnerability and expand and empower. This is how I support clients and people from the stage and you know, all of that. And so I wanted to write a book about it, but nonfiction books can be really boring. And I, this isn't an enter at A and exit at Z method. This is a way to creatively and strategically problem solve and dream design and plan a life that you love. So the way I did the book was uh, a series of memoir type personal stories, case studies that I call Brave Spotlights, featuring other people who I've coached and worked with or people who have been a guest on my podcast, The Brave Files, and then actionable things, brave action that folks can take right away. The Brave Method really is made to help people troubleshoot change. It's, it's literally every element of the method is geared towards helping you look at things with fresh eyes from a different perspective. And then you can see how change either works with you or direct you toward a new destination. Okay. Is there a danger of people going too far? Meaning, if people should be less risk averse, right? They should, they should experiment more. They should stop being, you know, embrace their fears and to move ahead, as you say. Is there a line, however, that they should not cross that sometimes they do or might do? I really think that's personal. Like it's going to mm. be case by case. I would say certainly my approach to life is not to be less risk adverse. I'm all about risk. I think I think living an honest, authentic life is a very risky thing to do, but we have to decide for ourselves in that moment. Is the risk somebody might not like me or is the risk somebody may harm me, right? What What is your risk? You have to be really honest about that before you make decisions, but it's gonna be different every second. And that's so much of what the method is about is mm. getting honest in the moment about what you need in order to go where you wanna go or to build the things that you wanna build. And a lot of times, we're afraid of things that we have no evidence will ever actually happen. You know, when, when writing a book, especially a book like this, I'm like, oh my God, what if they hate it? Mm -hmm. I could have been afraid mm -hmm. that people would hate it and not written the book, but I had no evidence that they would hate it. And in the end, whether people like it or not, turns out they like it, but whether they like it or not, I've still done the thing. I've already won. Right. Right. So what is your podcast about? Because you've got, I think, a couple of podcasts. I do. I have two podcasts out. The first one, which I've had for almost four years now, is called The Brave Files. And I interview people who have stepped out of fear and into bravery in every possible way. Uh, and it's really so much fun. They're personal stories. They're, you know, these are not celebrities. They're everyday average folks, you know, just like mm -hmm. me, just like you. And their stories are beautiful. So we're here revolutionizing this concept of everyday brave. There are hundreds of ways to choose bravely every single day. And when we choose bravely on purpose, we mm. start to choose bigger, right? It's that stepping into risk. We choose bigger and we have bigger rewards. We win bigger. And my favorite part is that it's contagious. When we start to do that, the people around <laughs> us start to do it. I love that. 
The Everyday Hero. Okay, great. The Brave Files. Uh, yes, definitely got to check that out. And, and what's the thank other one you. about? My other show, which is new, it's only been out for a few weeks now at the time of this recording, is with my co-host Alan Seals, and it's called Was It Chance? And we interview very successful folks about the chance encounters and opportunities, manifestation, creation that led them to where they are in their life and in their business. And we have Mm -hmm. so much fun, so many laughs, and it's amazing, right, how we so manifestation we talk about manifestation it isn't just a thing that you think of and you declare it and it just happens manifestation comes from declaring something and then changing the way we behave showing up differently seeking opportunities to then create that thing and looking for those encounters and and being willing and open to try new things and embrace chance it it is so much fun and we've had incredible um celebrity guests on the show okay heather anything else that i haven't asked you about that uh that i should be asking you i don't think so but i would just put out there for folks if you're if you like what you're hearing i'm all about community and connection and i have a group it's housed on facebook it's called brave on purpose and it's just a group of folks who are out leveraging their fears into intentional bravery. And if you think that those are the kind of people you want to hang out with, come join us. Excellent. And what is that Facebook uh, link that we can find? It's you can actually find it. um, I can make it easier. If you go to vickeryandco.com slash brave on purpose, it'll lead you there. But the group is called Brave on Purpose. Super. Well, Heather, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to talk with you today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. That's Heather Vickery, a success and leadership coach devoted to your success, right here on The True Fiction Project. And I'm your host, Renita Hora. And now to the premise of The True Fiction Project, which of course is to create fiction out of nonfiction. Janet Blue. This story was written by Michael Kobzik from New Hampshire and narrated by Regina Williams. It was a cloudy night at the Perky Parrot Nightclub. The audience buzzed with anticipation for the headlining act, Beatrice Deluxe. With her platinum blonde hair, red lipstick, and thrumming tenor voice, she was the reason everyone was there. But, Before she could go on stage, there was an opening act, and she was staring at herself in the vanity, trembling in fear. She thought to herself, how did I even get here? Her mind went back in time. Every day, Janice Blue clocked into the office for the day. She signed into her workstation and lost herself in the world of numbers, figures, and tax documents. This was something she did every day, ever since she was hired by the firm. It was a world where even the slightest mistake could mean financial ruin for the client. But as she worked, she tapped her foot and bobbed her head to the sweet sound of electro-swing music. The stress melted away with the music. One night, she went to see the local cabaret legend, Beatrice Deluxe, live. She sat in the audience, sipping her martini glass as she watched Beatrice dance and sing on stage. 
the light reflected off of her sparkling dress, almost blinding Janice as she watched with her mouth open. Time seemed to stop as she watched her idol on stage. By the end of the evening, Janice had a few too many drinks. She fixed her glasses and caught up with the loud applause of the audience as Beatrice left the stage. Janice held her breath as she followed Beatrice's path backstage. Just a few minutes later, she was knocking on the door of her dressing room, her name written in loopy cursive on the door. Hello, Beatrice said, popping her gorgeous head out of the door. Janice lost her words for a moment before laughing. I loved you up there, Janice said, trying to keep her composure. Beatrice's unsure expression turned into a nervous smile. Thank you, Beatrice said, unsure how to reply. Janice leaned herself up against the doorframe. I really want to do something like this, but I don't know if I ever could. Janice put her hand on Beatrice's shoulder, startling her. You're so pretty. I wish I could be that pretty. Janice did her best impression of Beatrice's voice, but Beatrice stopped her. <laughs> okay, okay, Beatrice said. If you're serious, I can teach you. Janice opened her eyes wide. Really? she exclaimed. A few months later, here she was about to go on stage as Beatrice's opening act. Janice checked her eyeliner, made sure her lipstick had no smudges, and looked at every single curl in her freshly permed hair. She wasn't looking at Janice. She was looking at Janet Blue, the cabaret singer. Ten minutes to showtime, Janet, a playful voice reminded her. Though it was meant to comfort her, Janice felt a chill. Janice bristled as a thousand questions filled her head. What will Mark think? Mark, her husband, waited in the audience. Mark was a lawyer and spent much of his time advising clients on things like estate settlements. Thrilling work. He was quiet but tall and intelligent. One night, when washing his black socks, he had found her outfit in the wash the other night. It was meant to be a surprise, but she told him to wait and see her on stage. Another irrational thought crossed her mind. Is he going to leave me? She shook her head, wiping her forehead of sweat with a handkerchief. Are Louie and Martika with him? God, should I have gotten a babysitter? Together, they had two children together, Louie and Martika. They were four years old now. Being a mother, that was nothing compared to being a performer. Janice held her head as her mind clouded up with fear. Then, Janice felt a gloved hand on her back. Janet, are you okay? She turned to see her mentor, Beatrice Deluxe. She looked like she had just stepped off the poster of a 1950s blockbuster. Compared to Janice, she was perfect for the stage. The two of them stood together, their red and blue dresses contrasting. B, Janice said, her lip trembling. I don't know if I can do this. Beatrice looked right into Janice's eyes. 
you're going to do great, Beatrice said, rubbing her shoulder. This, this isn't me, though, Janice said, shifting her shoulder away from Beatrice. I'm Janice, not, uh, not Janet. I'm a public accountant. I'm married. I have two kids. God, who am I fooling with this whole act? I should just... Beatrice put a finger to Janice's lips. Janet, Beatrice said, can you keep a big secret? Janice nodded, her face frozen. I'm a dentist, Beatrice said, stifling a laugh. All day I look at teeth. But when the night falls and I get in this dress and go up on that stage, I'm a new person. You say you've got fear, girl? That's totally fine. F fearless, you have to be brave, okay? Janice wasn't sure what to say, but she didn't need to say anything. Trust me, Beatrice said. Once you get up there, it's like magic. You're another person. Janice couldn't imagine what kind of a person Beatrice was like outside of this nightclub. She was like a superhero, with a secret identity and everything. A dentist. Janice couldn't believe it. Ladies and gentlemen, boomed the announcer, put your hands together for our opening act. Live on stage for the first time ever, Janet Blue. The moment had come for Janice to perform. Beatrice and Janice hugged. Knock em dead, Beatrice said, patting her on the back. Janice was ready. Janice clasped her hands together and walked out on stage. She searched around the crowd for Mark and found him in the front row. He smiled, holding onto something on the table that Janice couldn't see. She found the microphone and stood up on stage. The spotlight shined bright on Janice. The music hadn't started yet. It was just her and the audience. She could feel the eyes of everyone in the audience on her, burning into her like she was standing outside in the sun without any sunblock. Like magic, time stopped for Janice. Her heart beat faster and faster as she clasped the microphone stand. She looked behind herself, seeing the smiling faces of the accompanying band. Somehow, their smiles comforted her for a moment. She opened and closed her mouth in the same second. She wanted to say something like, thank you all for coming, or I wanted to dedicate this one to my dear husband, Mark. But she didn't want to embarrass him in front of everybody. Instead, she decided that all she needed was the music. She raised her hand and snapped her fingers. Hit it, boys! The band roared to life and began to play the jazzy song. The brass horns blew, the drums boomed, and the backup singers danced. A rush of energy filled Janice, and she closed her eyes as she waited to begin. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Finally. Her part of the song arrived. 
Her lips parted, and her alto voice rang out of her tiny throat. In that moment, Janice Blue disappeared, and Janet Blue was finally born. Thank you for listening to The True Fiction Project with Renita Hora. Be sure to subscribe to the newsletter to receive more inspiring stories showing how fiction is born from our everyday experiences. For more information, visit www.truefictionproject.com. Thank you.